Let's get started by thanking our wonderful sponsors who make this show possible every week. We can't thank them enough. Macular degeneration is a leading cause of vision loss, with 15% of Americans being at risk or already affected. Scientific evidence proves that by using mesozeaxanthin, lutein, and zeaxanthin together replenishes the macular pigment and promotes healthier vision. This formula comes in only one product, MacuHealth. Age-related macular degeneration, or AMD, is the leading cause of adult vision loss in the U.S. It affects 1 in 14 over the age of 40. When caught early, there is time to take corrective action. Ask your eye doctor to test your dark adaptation speed using the Adapt DX Pro from MacuLogics. With more screen usage and indoor time, myopia, also known as nearsightedness, is increasing and getting worse in children. Now, certified eye doctors can prescribe MySight one day, the first and only FDA-approved soft contact lens to slow myopia progression in age-appropriate children. Visit coopervision.com to find a Brilliant Futures certified eye doctor near you. Hello and welcome to the Open Your Eyes podcast. I'm Dr. Kerry Geld, the host of the documentary, Open Your Eyes. Please visit the film's website at openyoureyes2020.com, featuring interviews with more than 50 optometrists from around the country sharing information on eye care and eye disease. If you're new here and you like our interviews, press like, subscribe, share, and hit the bell to get notifications of great new interviews. Also, please leave comments. Sports vision is a science of helping athletes reach peak levels of performance through the enhancement of visual skills. According to the International Sports Vision Association, a growing body of evidence confirms that visual abilities can be strengthened and enhanced by means of appropriate visual training. Today's guest, optometric physician, Dr. Keith Smithson, is a world leader in sports vision. Dr. Smithson is the director of visual performance for the Washington Nationals, the team optometrist for the Washington Wizards, Spirits, Mystics, and DC United, and sports consultant for the Washington football team and Washington Capitals. Dr. Smithson offers sports vision consultations for serious athletes of all ages who are seeking an extra edge in athletic performance through visual enhancement. Dr. Keith practices sports vision and, optom and optometry in Virginia. Welcome, Dr. Smithson. Thanks, Doc. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hey, it's great to have you. I got to start off right away. Is 2020 vision good enough when it comes to sports vision? Yeah, boy, I hate to use the word 2020 for anything these days, right after last year. I mean, <laughs> it was supposed to be the year of the optometrist last year, right? We said 2020 was going to be a, a great thing and turned out to be the worst year that any of us would want to forget. But uh, yeah, to your point, I mean, 2020 vision is is uh, is kind of an outdated term. It's, it's sort of something that we use as a standard in our field where we talk about how small we can see a letter at distance, uh, but it's the tip of the iceberg. So we certainly want to push for, for a lot more than that. So what are we pushing for in addition to 2020 vision? Now, the average baseball player, from what I understand, could see like 2012 or 2013. Is that correct? Yeah, the studies that were done on that years ago by uh, good friends of ours, Dr. Labby, Dr. Kirshen, uh, with their pro teams, that was the LA Dodgers and the Boston Red Sox back in the day. They did uh, some studies saying that the average acuity in Major League Baseball is 2012. So a 2020 athlete is a line and a half below average in Major League Baseball. So you know, just pushing the acuity side of things is obviously the starting point. We'll talk about a lot more uh, fun things we get to test for these days. But 
to your point, it's it's maximizing all visual skills. And, and there's a lot more to what we do in this room uh, than putting people into a pair of glasses and contact lenses to help them see a target clear. Uh, we certainly start there, but there's a lot more to it. And it's it's maximizing visual performance. That's what's fun about this. Now, what's it like to work with professional athletes? I have to admit, I have never even been friendly or really met a professional athlete. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's great to work with people that love what they do and are engaged in what they do. And certainly in that sport, you know, in baseball is one that we talk about quite a bit because it's such a visually demanding sport. Uh, but I think they're engaged individuals. You know, they want to get better. They want to push it. Um, they get the visual side of their sport more so than sometimes uh, some of the other sports, you know, let's say football, basketball, things like that, where there's the visual component, you know, you and I as docs understand that it's important to them, but they may not realize it or, or, or have heard about it as much as maybe a baseball player who's always talking about see the ball and see the seams and you hear those words trickle into their sport. Um, I would say a similar thing happens with me with, you know, law enforcement, military, you know, elite, you know, war fighters and things like that, you know, that are really taking things like vision and vision processing and reaction time and things like that very seriously. So whenever you get a chance to work with people who want to push it and get better, uh, certainly it's fun. Now you work through the, 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 the team trainer. The trainer is very important. So does the trainer help you with the athletes to say, you know, this is something you should look into sports vision? Yeah, the athletic trainer for us is always, you know, sort of the, um, the tip of the spear. They're the main communication point for all of us on the medical team. I mean, that's one of the, the great privileges I have working with these pro teams is that I'm a part of a medical staff. Uh, nothing I can do out there I do on my own and having communication with our orthopedic surgeons, our chiropractors, our dentists, our neuropsychologists, our team physicians, and the athletic trainer. I mean, that's really you know, the, the fun part is that we're doing this as a team. You know, we're the team off the field that helps them perform as a team on the field to the best of their ability. And obviously from a vision standpoint, that's my piece of the pie is maximizing that for the athletes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, their communication is critical. Their support is critical. Uh, certainly through 20 years of doing this myself, there's, there's some trainers that have been more, more open to the, uh, the visual aspect than others as far as, you know, what our team physical looks like. Maybe in preseason, does it have much of a vision test to it? Uh, you'd be surprised how little uh, the vision test is or is mandated to be for things like the NBA, where it's basically sit on a, a table and look at a chart at the end of the wall. I mean, there's, there's just not much to it at all. Um, baseball has a bit more of a robust vision testing protocol. Um, but sports like that, you know, you, you're, you're really at the mercy of the trainer saying, you know what, I believe in this. I've learned a bit about it. I understand that vision is important for the sport. And let's, uh, let's push it to test some things that maybe we didn't the year before or under the old regime to make sure that we're maximizing all facets of our athletes. How receptive are the athletes, professional athletes, to sports vision training and enhancement? Yeah, I mean, that, that varies tremendously, right? Over 20 years of doing this with hundreds of athletes, um, you know, sometimes you get some of those youth athletes that are coming up through and they're rookies on the team and they're, they're doing everything they can to, to, to kind of make the roster or make their mark in the league. Sometimes you have a 15-year veteran that says, you know, and I've, I've frankly had so, someone say to me, you know what, I've been here 15 years and if I haven't done it before now, I'm not going to do it now, you know? So, you know, you got to understand it. You got to respect it and you got to speak to them like they're people too. And, you know, they're experts at what they do, just like I'm an expert at what I do. So the communication is critical. And certainly all you do is try to present technologies, present opportunities for them to get better. And uh, some, will, uh, some will drink from the water you put in front of them and some will say no thanks. Give me a good example of a, of a professional athlete that was struggling that we did sports vision on and really improved their game and is actually thankful for doing sports vision. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, certainly, you know, from HIPAA compliance standpoint, we can talk about some of the athletes that I work with currently, but things that are published and out there, we can certainly get into. And, you know, one of the ones that was reported quite, um, quite recently with us was, uh, was Bryce Harper and, and what we did with Bryce. And Bryce was the guy that uh, ended up with some, some clarity and acuity issues, but he was just such an amazing physical specimen, was able to, you know, step up at, a, at an incredible level. And, and even as a high school prospect was on everyone's radar as being, you know, potentially the number one pick before he even went to the junior college he went to. So he was on everyone's radar because he just simply was, a, was an incredible physical specimen. Uh, but once you get up to an elite level and you're competing against other elite specimens, sometimes things you know, rise to the surface. In his case, it was a bit of a vision issue. Uh, it's been well-documented. You can see it in a lot of different um, you know, publications and things out there where you know, he you know, certainly made a gigantic leap in his performance once his vision was maximized. And getting him to a good place allowed him to uh, do some incredible things for us here with the Nationals and then uh, signed a pretty nice contract with the Phillies a couple of years ago, which uh, we wish him the best. He's an incredible kid and a great family and uh, think the world of the guy. So, you know, wish him nothing but the best, but a guy who definitely would say that vision has a lot to do with what he does on the field. What percentage of the ball players, uh, the professional ball players, either need contacts or glasses? I'm sure most of them wear contacts because you don't see a lot of people wearing glasses. What percentage do you think? Yeah, I would say probably, and again, we got done with uh, Major League Physicals about two weeks ago. I'm heading back down for Minor League Physicals in a couple of weeks. So by the time I'm done, I'll see 200 or so ball players in our organization alone. Uh, I'd say we're probably in the 15 to 20% range of, 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 of athletes that need some kind of visual correction. Uh, and that's kind of interesting, too, because you'll see a lot of kids that are maybe domestic kids that have seen an eye doctor through, uh, through their parents' routine checkups or having school screenings and, and being picked up you know, as, as a potential need for glass or context at a young age. Uh, and I put that in contrast to some of our Dominican players, some of our international players that don't have access to medical care like we do in the States here uh, and may have fallen through the cracks if they couldn't see well just because they didn't have access to seeing a doctor. So what I say a lot, which is actually kind of interesting is, you know, when we're doing our physicals and spring training, we'll get a lot of the domestic kids kind of through and, you know, the players tend to kind of have their, their pods that they kind of hang with and their groups of friends. And a lot of times you'll see the Dominican kids kind of stick together because they have that comfort level with each other. But, you know, by the time that the end of the physical day comes and I have 35 Dominican ballplayers come through, those are the 35 best eyes I've seen all day. Because if they didn't have great vision, they wouldn't have gotten to where they are because they just didn't have an opportunity to see a doctor before they stepped in to see me in spring training. So it's really kind of a self-limiting thing. Sometimes in, in, in countries like that, when you just don't have the access to medical care, they weren't you know, seeing at their premium, they, they wouldn't be where they are unless they're a pitcher, which could also be kind of an interesting thing, right? You could be a, have terrible vision and if you can throw a hundred, someone's gonna sign you. <laughs> right. Right. I hate to be the one that was hitting when they're throwing a hundred and they can't see. <laughs> that, that might hurt a little bit. Yeah, well, they, that's why they wear helmets, right? <laughs> Any specific type of contact lenses that you use that with athletes because you feel it gives it a, gives a little bit better vision than some other types of contact lenses? Yeah, I would tell you, I mean, there, there's a lot of different facets to contact lenses. So for the parents and athletes that are out there, there's a lot of things to learn from your optometrist uh, on, on what, what makes a good contact lens. You know, there's a fitting component to contact lenses that people don't understand, but if the lens doesn't fit well, you can't see well. Uh, there's not just the prescription number, but there's also the way that it lays on top of the cornea. There's a lot of different materials that contact lenses are made out of. So finding the right material that's going to perform well, that's going to be comfortable, that's going to allow them to wear it without you know, itching and rubbing their eye because they're irritated by the material. Uh, and then the curvature of the lens. You know, you have a curvature of the lens that can create sort of higher definition optics in some of these lenses. We have light, dark adapting contact lenses right now. So we have lenses that can actually change color, just like the glasses that you would wear outside to play sports. 
We have light altering and light adapting contact lenses that can help them with their contrast and their ability to see at night. Uh, some really cool and exciting technology. So it's a great time to be a contact lens wearer, especially with fogging up masks and glasses that we're all fighting with right now. So we're having a lot of people talking about contact lenses these days. So those transition contact lenses that change, do you find that it does help the player? Yeah, I would say they're dramatically beneficial. And I, I would tell you when we launched them in spring training a couple of years ago, uh, about half the players that I fit in the contact lens technology had no prescription at all. They literally were so impressed by the light altering effects and the fact that it would benefit them in seeing the ball better in different lighting conditions that they wore it without a prescription. That's how much of a difference it made for them. So, you know, what we found from the lens from year one to kind of year two at this point um, is that the light adapting effects made almost more of a difference under the stadium lights and for the night games, for those athletes that had night glare and problems at night, you know, that lens is a light altering lens. It's a light adapting lens. So as soon as you take it out of the case, it's on. It's a filter that's already working and you have about a 15 to 70% tint that's there all the time. So you're getting athletes that are telling you they're seeing the ball better at night. Um, the athletes that were so light sensitive that they had trouble during the day were probably the ones wearing sunglasses. So they didn't have that real need during the day. They were wearing sunglasses anyway. So now you have the opportunity for those athletes to see better at night and for the athletes that just weren't comfortable with wearing sunglasses because they couldn't fit them under their batting helmet or something that way. And they said, you know, a lot of times you'll see an athlete say, yeah, you know, I wear my sunglasses in the field, but I don't hit with them because I just don't like the feel of that frame. It doesn't feel good under my helmet. So this gives them an opportunity to basically have a contact lens that functions like a sunglass. So it's really pretty incredible technology. Yeah, I would say it's a game changer. How does it affect contrast sensitivity? Because we know how important that is in sports. Yeah, contrast sensitivity is a great word and a word that I wish more of our colleagues would actually use. I mean, it's a different level of, of uh, evaluating vision. We, we get stuck on that 2020 term that we started out with, uh, talking about how small you can see a target 20 feet away, you know, when you're sitting in a stationary chair looking at a stationary target. So how much does that really have relevance to a dynamic sport like baseball with 98 mile an hour pitches that happen you know, very quickly in tenths of a second? So the contrast thing is something where you're looking at how well an athlete sees in different lighting conditions, right? So it's not necessarily the, the quantity of the vision, but it's the quality of the vision. And yeah, the Oasis transition specifically is one that actually has been proven to improve contrast sensitivity. So we talk a lot about having the correct types of tints and filters in their glasses. Uh, if they're using a sunglass, let's say in the outfield and they're a light sensitive individual, maybe that's a dark gray sunglass. And now they're hitting and saying, well, yeah, I don't like to hit with these on because they're too dark. You know, they can go to different types of tints and filters. And there's a lot of tint science out there from companies like Oakley and Nike and Under Armour and things like that, where, you know, they're using a specific tint that's kind of a high speed or high velocity tint that improves contrast and their ability to see seams and rotation um, as opposed to just being a dimming type of sunglass. So, so tint science is a great thing to learn about and, uh, and something that, yeah, I wish more people would learn about that contrast sensitivity piece, but it does uh, absolutely improve it with the contact lens as well. So can we really make high definition 5K vision? Yeah, I mean, I think high def is a great word, right? I mean, everyone's sensitive to finding a better TV and a better resolution in their monitor and better, you know, phone screens and things like that. So high def is a cool word. And um, I would tell you that absolutely, by the time we're done maximizing vision and putting on the right contact lens with the right correction and the right technology, the athletes will go out feeling like they're seeing high def for sure. I assume with the transition contact lenses, these guys aren't cleaning them. So um, they probably use them as daily contacts because they're not daily. They're, you know, they're two week contact lenses. Yeah, no, they're, they're cleaning them. I mean, it's something that we take seriously. Obviously in the world of COVID, we had to talk about how potentially serious it is to overwear a contact lens. 
uh, and the, the cleaning protocols are pretty stringent. We know that you know we can kill COVID-19 if you're taking care of the lens the right way and rubbing and cleaning and disinfecting. So you know, it, it, more than anything, I, I would say our athletes are more compliant now than ever because they're afraid of, of the infectious uh, potential. But yeah, I, I don't have any athletes actually out of all of the teams I work with that are throwing them out every day. It's, it'd be expensive to do it that way. And as much as these guys make, they're still pretty cheap. Pretty cheap sometimes on the side, you know. They still want somebody else to pick up the tab if they can, so they're taking care of them and reusing them. So, in pre preseason conditioning for vision, what are the, some of the things that you do to get the the uh, the athlete ready for the season? Uh, because now that we're getting into the season, they've been doing some preseason conditioning. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a great way to put it. I mean, preseason for the athletes is something that they're all sensitive to, whether or not you have a kid who's 12 years old getting ready to, for soccer and baseball season at home in Little League, uh, or you have the big boys heading down to Florida for spring training or Arizona. Um, so preseason is something that, that people understand. You know, it's start, time to start my weight training, starting to start my conditioning, time to maybe start eating white and, and dropping some of the pounds that I put on <laughs> over the winter time. So, you know, all those kind of things are relevant topics for all of us. And I think the vision aspect is the same kind of thing. So you know, we'll have athletes that, that, are, that are very comfortable with vision training protocols that they've used for several seasons. They may take off a little bit in the off season, but once they start kind of ramping it up, getting ready for the season, then they'll crack out and start using, you know, strobe training glasses or some of the online training programs and apps that they might use. Uh, now we're seeing things like virtual reality be a big part of this. So getting into VR systems uh, that are maybe sports specific, which can be super, super cool. Uh, and other things that may not be sports specific, but are also relevant in training visual skills. Uh, and I would say, yeah, those couple of weeks before their season gets going, they are ramping back up in vision training. Uh, and I think it's a great uh, principle to have going forward, just thinking about preseason for the eyes. What kind of visual training drills will they do to get ready for the season? Yeah, so again, a lot of times it'll be sports specific and sometimes position specific, right? So you know, our goalies, let's say, in, in soccer and hockey, uh, are doing a lot of things where they're, you know, reacting to balls that are being thrown at them, um, you know, different mini pucks in a hockey situation, maybe different colored balls that are trying to hit, um, as opposed to someone like a baseball player that's probably doing some some toss and swing drills with, with swing sticks and small balls. Uh, again, we're, we're able to add things like strobe training glasses to just about any drill. So uh, what's, what's fun is to try to figure out and work again with those athletic trainers uh, the strength and conditioning coaches on the type of drills that they're doing with these athletes and then adding a visual component to the drill that they're already doing. So not reinventing the wheel and building something that, that I think might work for an elite level second baseman in major league baseball, but saying, what are the things that you like to do? What helps you get ready? What are the type of things you do with your coaches? Now let's see if we can add a visual component to that to not add additional time on and off the field. Athletes are very sensitive to that. The training staffs are very sensitive to that. Their time is very conditioned. They want to get in, they want to get out, they want to get on the golf course or get back home with their family. So adding time is always a challenging thing. If you can maximize time and add a visual component to a skill they're already doing, now that's where you really get some, some massive benefit and some nice buy-in too, because you're not adding additional time, but they're coming away from it with a little bit more than they would have before. Explain what strobe training glasses are and how they work. Yeah, so strobe training glasses are something that have been, you know, in the industry with us for, you know, over 20 years at this point, um, that it started with a, a company that no longer exists It migrated into Nike taking the lead on, on building strobe technology. And now you have a company called Synaptic, which is out there, a company called Vima, which is out there. There's a couple of different competitors that build strobe training glasses. But, you know, if you think about going outside with a pair of sunglasses on, and those sunglasses were so dark, you couldn't see anything. And you, you put an electric pulse through that lens that allows you to see and then not see, and then see and then not see. So again, the same kind of strobe glass effect, 
that any of us would do, you know, in a completely dark room with someone flipping the light switches on and off, right? So if you flip the light switches on and off and you're trying to throw a ball back and forth and catch it, if the lights are on in the room, it's very easy to do the task because you're seeing all of the visual information. You're getting all of the information coming into your brain from the ball being tossed across the room to you catching it and throwing it back. So now the light switches are being flipped on and off and now you're only getting bits and pieces of that visual information. So instead of seeing the ball completely along its flight, you might only see it in bits and pieces along its flight and then you have to react to do the same motor movement of either catching the ball, hitting the ball, uh, but you're doing it with less visual information. The, the training aspect comes in actually getting to a point where now you're able to do that same task with even less and less information. So the, the different frequency of the strobe, the faster it's strobing, you're still seeing you know, predominantly the ball under lighted conditions. But if we have a very slow strobe effect, you may only catch the ball one or two times in flight before you have to make a reaction to catch it or save it. Um, so the strobe training glasses are great. You can take them on a field. You can take them in the hitting cage. You can take them onto a goalie drill. Uh, you can take them pretty much anywhere. Uh, my son uses them in his bedroom. He uses them in the garage. He uses them out back. You know, my daughter uses it on the volleyball court. So, you know, it's a great thing that, that's very portable, uh, has a lot of science behind it. Um, and we're going to launch, you know, very quickly on, uh, on strobe, strobe, the Sports Vision Pros group that we have, uh, a strobe training academy so that athletes can go on and learn the specific drills that they can do uh, that might be sports specific, that might be more relevant for a football player, more relevant for a hockey goalie, uh, some different ideas that they can kind of take it from there with their own trainer and coach. Um, and we have a lot of people that are kind of giving us uh, content and showing us what they do with their teams. So it's pretty exciting stuff. The strobe uh, uh, training help with the predictive saccade that a hitter has to make at the end of the at when they when they start to swing. Yeah, so the thought with strokes is that it's really more neurological training than almost eye training. So, so a lot of the saccadic and, and pursuit movement things, the eye tracking things are things that we can quantify through other technologies, things like right eye, uh, things like eye sync. There's a lot of technologies out there that are actually quantifying training and then re-quantifying eye tracking and saccadic movements. So the thought with the, the strobe training is that we're actually training more brain than the eyes. Even though it seems like a visual thing, we're improving what's called visual processing, which is your brain's ability to make a decision. So, you know, again, if we do a vision test, you know, my quick little breakdown on the visual performance evaluation uh, with any athlete. And again, that's a 10 year old that I'm gonna see later this afternoon who plays soccer uh, up to an elite level pro is looking at three facets of their game. One is maximizing the clarity of the target they have to see. So that's a lot of what we talked about in the beginning, making sure that they have the correct contact lens, the correct pair of glasses, the correct tint or filter, we've maximized contrast. But now we know they see the target as well as they can in the lighting conditions they're under. Then we have a muscular component that we evaluate, which has a lot to do with eye tracking, saccadic movements, depth perception, muscular focus. And then the last part is that decision-making, right? So if you see the target clearly, you've been able to locate it in space. Now your brain has to make a quick decision for you to be able to make, complete that motor task before the target is passed, right? So that processing link, that processing speed is what we think can be trained really with the strobe training glasses is speeding up neurologically the brain. We know in as little as two 15 minute sessions, you can already make a neurological difference. A lot of those published studies through Duke University, the Air Force Academy, a lot of things out there have said that in two sessions, you can already make a neurological difference. And then through standard training protocols, three times a week, 15, 20 minutes, if you follow the routines and the things that we're gonna publish for you online, um, you will see and keep the neurological difference that you gain from something like stroke training. Pretty exciting. Vision Edge gives you less eye strain and reduced damage caused by blue light. We like to call Vision Edge sunscreen for the eye. 
It all starts with your highest level of visual performance, only achievable through scientifically proven Vision Edge. Age-related macular degeneration, or AMD, is the leading cause of adult vision loss in the U.S. It affects 1 in 14 over the age of 40. When caught early, there is time to take corrective action. Ask your eye doctor to test your dark adaptation speed using the AdaptDX Pro from Maculogics. You're around the athletes, and maybe you're not directly involved in this part, but how about their nutrition? Do you notice that they're about, are they very strict on their nutrition, eating healthy? Do they have specific people to help them with their nutrition? And then then something that we could help them with as far as ocular nutrition, where uh, having nutrition nutrients such as lutein, zeaxanthin, mesozeaxanthin, uh, work that's been done uh, at Duke University uh, just to enhance uh, hitting. Yeah, I'm a big believer in that as well. Uh, and again, it's a conversation we have, you know, again, certain athletes are more open to the nutritional supplement idea. Obviously, we have to be very careful with different supplements and what we can use and can't use at different sports levels. Uh, something like you mentioned, the, the I promise vitamins and things like that are NSF certified, which means that we can use them, um, you know, without worry of, of something that shows up on a, on a drug test, you know, so uh, there's certain things that you have to be careful with, with different things, whether it's an NCAA athlete or a professional athlete. Um, but yeah, to your point, I mean, nutritional supplementation is something we know is, is important for eye health, uh, but certainly can be important from a performance standpoint as well and their ability to improve their contrast. There's even studies out there. You mentioned some of the ones at Duke University, some of the ones at Georgia uh, on improving some of the visual processing. So some of these same uh, components are found in parts of the brain that process visual information. So can we see better and think quicker with some of these supplements? And the, the studies say yes. So it's definitely something I talk about. And I definitely have athletes that are religious as using it. Uh, other athletes, again, that say, you know what, sounds great, but uh, I'm going to stick with my Snickers bar, which is uh, not so great. But nutrition's a big deal. We talk about it a lot. Are they, are they careful? Like in the old days when the ballplayers would go out, they go out drinking. Are they, more, are, they, are they more careful now what they put in their body? You know, like we talked about uh, the, the supplements like Maca Health or I Promise. Are they more careful with the carbohydrates, eating junk food, sugar, that type of thing? Yeah, I mean, and the, the, the options that they have are, are, are endless, you know. So, I mean, it's, again, I have the good fortune of working with professional sports teams. So when we go into a, a, our athletic facilities, we have a professional chef. We have, you know, food, foods and things that are being prepared with all of those ideas in mind. You go into the weight room and there's a stack of different supplements and energy drinks and energy bars and, and all kinds of things out there that, certainly didn't even exist when I played. I thought there was Gatorade and water and, and orange slices. That was about it, right? So um, it's pretty cool to have the opportunities they do uh, from a nutrition standpoint. That, yeah, I would definitely say that they're, they're all pretty conscious of it. We look at body fat indexes and body mass and all these kind of things impact their ability to stay healthy, uh, stay quick and agile on the field. Um, but yeah, nutrition is definitely something that we, we talk about quite a bit, and I think it's important. Now, let's talk about the sports vision evaluation. So we talked about making sure that the, the person could, the player could see properly. So let's talk about the Virgin system. What kind of, what kind of tests will you do for it? And how can we improve it if it's, if it's deficient? Or maybe it's good, but we want to even make it better. Yeah, so you know we're looking at the ability of the eyes to essentially work together when you're talking about the virgin system. So you know the ability of the eyes to pull together, which is what we do when we follow a target that's moving closer to us, or the ability of the eyes to move apart, which is what we do by tracking a target that's moving away from us. 
Uh, and then you mentioned eye tracking and saccadic movements, which is targets moving sort of left to right in our field or scanning between multiple targets. So we can quantify all of those things. Uh, we use a system called Right Eye. We have Synaptic, which is another great system that quantifies a lot of things, even down to milliseconds on the ability for the eyes to work together. Uh, a virgin's test can be done very simply by most doctors in their general exam lane by using different types of prisms to evaluate how well the eyes pull together before they lose that fusional ability, how well they pull apart before they kind of break. Um, and yeah, those are, those are muscular skills. So we can improve those in, in a variety of different ways from, from basic training techniques using handheld devices uh, to computer-based training programs that can be done online. Uh, that we can sort of prescribe for our patients and then have them come back and, and see what they look like a month later. I mean, you can see significant change sometimes in, in four to six weeks for someone who's really motivated and doing training on a consistent basis. So uh, it's massive. It also carries over into a lot of the problems we see in post-concussion athletes where they have issues with their virgin system. So they may have had perfect virgins up until they took that shot to the head and now they're having trouble uh, with light sensitivity or eye tracking or overall focus. And it turns out to be sort of a muscular deficiency that they had from their traumatic brain injury. So uh, recovering some of the virgin's capability for, for a post-concussed athlete uh, can be a, a massive opportunity for them too. What company makes an online training for virgins? Yeah, so we have uh, Visual Edge is one that's out there. Uh, HTS is a program that's out there. Uh, nice computer-based systems. Those are the two that I use most, most regularly with athletes. Um, they're, they're quantifiable. They give me metrics and data that I can track. Uh, there's compliance metrics, which is always good when you're working with a pro athlete. And when you have them come back a month later and say, well, how do you feel about things? They say, oh, I don't feel like there's any difference. We can look online and see that they did two training sessions in a month. Um, so compliance is great. You know, I can check their homework, so to speak. Um, so those are two great programs. I use them quite a bit. How about visual reaction speed? How do we check that? What is it? Yeah, so visual reaction speed for me is getting your eyes from point A to point B. So, you know, we, uh, we again, use multiple different testing systems. We have in-house, you know, synaptic, neurotracker, right eye, uh, and I'll pull out different metrics from each one of them, but essentially it's looking at how fast it took your eyes to go from point A to point B. So in a system like right eye, if I'll just give you an example, uh, one of their tests will give us a fixation uh, stability point. So it's basically telling us um, how quick did their eyes fire? So what they call saccadic latency, right? So if you're looking at a target and I say, look at this target until I present something else in the periphery. So keep your eyes on this target and then boom, there the target shows up. The first firing rate is saccadic latency. How quick your eyes went off of this point was saccadic latency. Visual reaction speed is how long it took from your eyes to get from the first point to the second point. So how long did it take my eyes from going here to there, okay? And so there's our visual reaction speed. Now that I got there, now I have to make a decision because they're presenting you with a target and you have to type something on the screen to what the target was. It was a, it's a planet, it's an astronaut, it's an alien. So whatever you see, you have to push the right corresponding key. So now there's a decision-making component, which is the processing piece. So we put that all together and we call it reaction speed or they call it reaction speed. So it's really kind of three parts and you can break that down and say this athlete had good saccadic latency, they fired very quickly, their reaction speed was very fast. They got from point A to point B very quickly. And there's thousands of athletes in this composite. So we're comparing them against other athletes at their same level, elite youth athletes, collegiate athletes, pro athletes, but they slowed down by two tenths of a second in their processing speed. 
And these are athletes that might have that 2012 vision. They have perfect depth perception, perfect tracking. But when they see the ball, see it where it is, it takes them that fraction of a second longer to identify it's a fastball or curveball, and I'm going to swing or not swing. And they look late at the plate. And so they say, well, boy, maybe he needs glasses or contacts. Maybe he needs to go get his vision chest. And that's where you need to have someone doing a more holistic type of performance evaluation to see that the issue is actually neurological and in processing. And that would be an athlete that they could do well with strobe training glasses or some of the VR programs that are more related to processing speed because everything else falls in place. So you have to identify the deficiency and not just you know, throw it on the wall and see if it sticks. So if we can really identify the deficiency, we can treat it. How about Fourier's? How is that related to, to reaction speed? Yeah, so Fourier is kind of the position of the eyes, right? So the position of the eyes can be either perfectly positioned. We can have athletes who have kind of an outward posture, an inward posture. They may have one eye that rests higher or lower than the other. Uh, and again, those can be negative input issues. So they're taking a little longer time um, to get the input into the brain or get effective input into the brain if their eyes are off enough that it's impacting that kind of depth perception judgment. So they may make up for that with having increased processing speed, right? We have had athletes that have significant and severe eye turns and relation issues. And maybe they've had surgery when they were a kid, they had a lazy eye. They have something where they say, you know what? I'm never gonna be successful in sports. I'm just failing and having difficulty with this. I have one eye that just simply doesn't work together. And an athlete like that, there's really limited capability for me doing any Fourier training for them. But if we build up the skills that can be built up, right? Maybe they build an extra two tenths of a second in processing speed. Maybe that helps them to cover for an input deficiency that might have been there from the Fourier issue. Um, so that to me is, is exciting too, because you know I never want to take the dream away from a youth athlete. I think youth sports is, is really a critical part of, of the development for a human. And I think obviously the year that we all just lived through, uh, some of the lessons I got from playing collegiate sports and being being tough and you know kind of fighting through things that that, that were difficult and and challenging times like we all faced I think the life lessons of sports are critical so I want kids to keep playing sports and if they're going to fail at their sport then they're going to quit they're not going to play they're going to give it up and maybe not learn those life lessons so I look at it as an opportunity for all of us to maximize the visual potential for all these athletes or maybe be honest with them and say you know what hitting a baseball at the high school level might be a real challenge for you but I hear you're a good pitcher too so how's your pitching? Yeah, yeah, I'm great at a pitching. And, and being honest with them and say, you know what, let's, let's, I, I, if I were you and I'm sitting here with mom and dad, I would spend a little bit more time with them in their pitching lessons because I'm a little concerned that when it gets up to an elite level, and I know you told me he plays on elite travel teams and he's super motivated, he's going to struggle. And he really could have a tough time with, with hitting baseballs at a high level because of the things I see um, reaction speed wise. But if he's a great pitcher and he can throw well and he gets trained at that, he can find his road uh, as far as he wants to go with maybe a different position in the sport he loves. So I think that's, you know, kind of a cool opportunity to change lives too. You mentioned right eye and they, and it's visual tracking the uh, vision training part of right eye. Uh, mm -hmm. How effective is it? Is it good? Uh, do you think it works well? Yeah, I would say it's, it's quite good. I, I would say it's, it's sometimes one of my first line treatments that I'll have if something is very identifiable as far as the deficiency, if we have, a specific issue, let's say left right eye tracking where their eyes are just not staying together and synchronized and targets moving back and forth. Or interestingly, I had an athlete in the other day whose issue was in vertical tracking. His horizontal tracking was great, but his vertical tracking was difficult. And guess what he was having trouble with? Hitting curveballs because they drop. So the drop on the curveball was actually more difficult for him to track than that more straight ahead moving fastball. So in his case, we put him onto the what's called the IQ trainer, which is a simple online-based training program that links to the uh, right eye profile. 
So they go through their training, they do it every day, they come back and see me in a month, uh, generally. And if the, uh, the success is great, if the numbers are great, if the performance on the field is improved, uh, we may be done. Uh, if at that point we need maybe a more robust level of physical therapy or vision therapy, uh, then we may add some things to that computer-based component. But I think it's at, at, at worst a good supplement and at best sometimes uh, the only thing we need. Let's talk about depth perception. What do you feel is the best way to measure depth perception? Yeah, so depth perception is a million dollar word, right? There's not really a depth perception test. We test different components of depth perception, but if we look at things like distance stereopsis, you're looking at the ability to judge 3D at distance. We look at, as you mentioned, phorias and the ability to look at the position and the posture of the eyes. We look at the ability of the eyes um, to judge multiple targets at distance. Um, so I think, you know, ultimately you're looking at different components that could impact depth perception, but there's not a one test, you fail depth perception kind of test. You know, I think, you know, for me, it's, it's a combination of different things that I say, because of what I see here, I'm concerned that this is impacting your depth perception. When I was in optometry school, we had the Howard Dolman depth perception test. Yep. And I scored like in the 99th percentile and I'm a great hitter. I was always yeah. a great hitter in high school. I'm not a great athlete, but I was always a great hitter. <laughs> and I think it was because I had such good depth perception. Yeah. I had a patient, I wanted to tell you about this who loves baseball and his son was struggling. He couldn't hit very well. And exactly to your point, uh, he, you know, he was, he was, he had strabismus. So one of his eyes would turn in. So he had no death perception. So that was the reason why he didn't hit well. So I mentioned to the father, I said, make him a pitcher because he's probably never going to be a good hitter. And I don't know if you agree with that, but do you remember Wesley Walker, the, the uh, football player, he was a wide receiver on the jets and they used to say he had bad hands. But it was really because he had glaucoma and one he was blind in one eye, so he had bad death perception. I was just wondering if you could comment on that. Yeah, I mean, it, I think, you know, my comment on that is that, that, you know, athletes who are motivated are incredible and, and are able to do things that you and I sometimes would look at and say, well, I, I don't know that that's going to be successful, but you, they find a way. You know, and I had a really cool athlete uh, that was on our Major League Baseball roster a couple of years ago who played eight to ten years in professional baseball uh, with a significant muscular and neurological imbalance he had a fourth nerve palsy which means that essentially as his eyes turn in one direction he went to absolute double vision his eyes would work together and then all of a sudden go completely offset uh, in, in i think it was his left gaze let's say so eyes were perfect in all directions of gaze until he goes left and all of a sudden everything went double so he learned this at a young age he learned how to hit from the other side of the plate so they didn't have to turn his eyes left but he turned his eyes right so he got to a point where he was a very good hitter and he was an outfielder so what he learned was when he was tracking balls in the outfield, he could never turn his body one way and look out of the left eye. He has to always track balls looking the correct way because going the other way, he would see double. So his routes became completely different to some of the other athletes that you would see out there. And sometimes they make comments on the game saying, wow, look at him. You know, he kind of runs a little bit of a unique route to get to that ball, but he always gets there. And it's something he had to learn at a young age because he wanted to be functional in a game he loved and he found a way to do it. So, you know, I've, I've learned to, to, to advise, but never take away that, that possible dream because, you know, kids do amazing things. And in his case, he played professional baseball for 10 years. Pretty cool. Have you ever seen a professional baseball player that was a position player that had no strabismus, that, that had no, no stereopsis that had strabismus that was able to make it in the major leagues with one eye, pretty much seeing out of one eye? Nope. No, you don't. How, how can you train stereopsis or death perception? Is there a way to train it? 
Yeah, so I think the same kind of thing. I mean, for me, it's it's generally seeing two different images and then having your eyes learn how to fuse those images together. So a lot of us are familiar with 3D movies and things like that. And the way we get a 3D movie to happen is we wear you know 3D glasses, right? And then the film is kind of offset a little bit and we we fuse a virtual target in the middle. So um, a lot of you know the, the 3D training, depth perception training can be uh, very effective. You can do it in office with different types of 3D filters and, and very basic types of vision drills. Um, you know, there's there's old school devices like Brock strings and things like that that you find trickle through, you know, little leagues and sometimes even professional league locker rooms still. Um, I think, you know, the, the online training programs are very effective because they're quantifiable. I like the fact that I can see metrics that are changing. Um, and I think VR is, is kind of our new environment. So, you know, you're living in a 3D world, a 3D environment. So you're seeing some of the training components that are coming into VR right now uh, is very exciting because I think that gives us opportunity to do things remotely uh, in remote settings. Obviously, this whole year we live with a lot of you know sports being offset and not being able to get into training facilities and such. Uh, and my son's been using his VR unit a ton with doing virtual hitting. Uh, there's a program out there called Win Reality, uh, which is actually a baseball training program. You're literally in your room swinging a baseball bat, hitting virtual pitches, which is incredible. Um, there's a hockey program that our goalies use called Sense Arena, where they actually are saving pucks that are being shot at them virtually in VR. Uh, and if you have an athlete that has depth perception issues, I'd like to see the evolution of training come into VR as well. So I think there's some really cool opportunities out there, uh, some things I work with quite a bit as well. So um, again, Sports Vision Pros is a resource that I'd love to you know, reach out there with any parent, coach, trainer who wants to learn more about sports and vision as a place to, to learn about emerging technologies. And it's a, it's a free educational resource. We just want it to be accessible so that people can learn what's out there. Uh, talk to their doctors or talk to their trainers and see if it's right for them. But it's pretty exciting stuff coming. The next thing you guys test for is contrast sensitivity. We mentioned it, we mentioned it before. Explain yeah. what it is and how can we train to improve it? Yeah, so training to improve contrast sensitivity is, is, is something that's also been out there. There's quite a base about a research on that from uh, fighter pilots and being able to see at night uh, to different military applications. There was a test uh, a study done with the Texas Rangers baseball organization years ago. Uh, using a program app called Glasses Off, uh, which they used. Um, there are different types of computer programs that can be used to improve contrast. Um, nutritional supplementation we talked about is another way to improve contrast. Having the correct type of tint and filter uh, in a contact lens or glass is a way to improve contrast. So we test for it by essentially, and again, my test is maybe different than, than some of the other docs out there, but uh, if you imagine you know, taking the standard vision test and looking at a chart that's on the wall, uh, you're being gauged by how small the letter is uh, when you can't see it anymore, right? So what I do is then I take the 2020 line or their best level of acuity, and I have a button on my digital chart that allows the, me to fade out the black in the letters. So instead of uh, the letters getting smaller than 2020, they stay 2020, they just get so faint that you can't see them. And then I build up black a step at a time until they can resolve those letters again. And then we look at the percent black, essentially, that it took for them to see it. And you know, I have a certain expectation that I look for in athletes. You know, I want them to be 15% or better in contrast sensitivity in that specific test. Just in my 20 years of experience, I've seen that as a good metric. So when you have an athlete that's 20, 25, 30% contrast, um, and again, I had that in an NHL player years ago, 2020 vision, good eye health, everything was great with him, but his contrast issue was 30%, which is terrible for me. And at his point, he was using a reusable contact lens, which means a lens he was cleaning and reusing on a monthly basis. We put him into daily disposable contact lenses, meaning he was throwing them out every day. It was a newer technology with newer plastic. 
Um, and at that point, he put the lens on and his contrast dramatically dropped from 30 to 15%. So he doubled his contrast sensitivity by simply going into a better, safer, more functional, as we said before, my high def kind of version of a contact lens. And we saw the improvement before he walked out of the room. So pretty cool. How about dynamic visual acuity? Is there actually a way to test it? I don't think there's any standardized way of doing it, but how do you guys do it and how could you improve it? Yeah, so dynamic acuity is a great word and, and I wish there was a standardized test for it. Um, I think all of us kind of do it a little bit differently from a sports performance standpoint. Uh, we actually use the right eye system to do dynamic acuity. So we actually have letters that are getting smaller and then those letters are tracking across the screen and they have to resolve the letters as they go across. Um, so, you know, it, it's not standardized at this point, but I think it's still a relevant topic. I'd love to find standardization for it out there because it'd be great to say, well, this athlete has great static acuity, but poor dynamic acuity. And in that case, we're talking about, you know, maximizing again, the clarity, the foundation for their vision, but then putting them into a dynamic environment, whether it's through VR, whether it's through uh, dynamic programs, or whether it's, you know, an athlete jumping on a trampoline or, or having to look at something that's spinning around on a chart, like it used to be in the old days. <clears throat> where we put pegs into to targets that were moving around and things that way. So, you know, training the athlete in motion where they're either in motion or the targets are moving around them or both, which is actually the most challenging, right? So uh, we look at fixation accuracy. You mentioned fixation, fixation before. How important is it, uh, fixation, and how does that help us on the field? Yeah, so fixation is kind of our targeting mechanism, right? So if we have one eye that's hitting the bullseye on the target and one that's slightly off, um, you know, that can be a, an issue, again, kind of related back to our depth perception. Fixation can also be kind of a metric. Um, there was a study interesting a couple of years back uh, on major league baseball players versus minor league baseball players and the fixation on what we call the release point, so where the pitcher actually releases the ball. So it was actually a metric that, that showed us quite a bit about their kind of concentration and their, their mental focus as well where we found that the elite major league players had a really small box around the releasing point. We were doing some eye tracking. So we were actually using a tracking system that was watching where their eyes watch. And what happened was you saw this small little box where the release point was, and those elite hitters were all pretty much around that box. And then we took the minor league players and some of the lower level players, and we had scattered points of fixation all over the place. You know, maybe they were looking at the outfield, they were looking at the scoreboard, they were looking at the cute girl in the front row, they were looking at the hot dog they want to get after the game, whatever it is, they were all over the place with their fixation, looked at multiple different places, and never really locked on to the target that was most relevant. So again, I think it's a trainable skill, it's something that we can push um, through various different devices and, you know, tunneling vision, or focusing on specific targets, giving them something that we have to to, uh, to recognize, I mean, I, I still coach my, my daughter's youth soccer team and we'll do some drills on the field that are conditioning drills and I'll hold up fingers and say, how many fingers am I holding up? So they're having to fixate and focus on me while they're dribbling soccer balls and juggling and just a basic skills drill, but focuses on the point that you gotta be paying attention to where the ball is or where I am in space, even while your body is maybe going through a different task. When you did that, uh, when you were looking at the baseball players and you were seeing that the higher level baseball players are able to fixate better, how did you measure that? Were they taking pictures of the players and just able to see their eye movement or were you using yeah, something like was, right eye? It was actually the legacy product for right eye. So before right eye became the tablet based system that it was, it was actually a wearable pair of technology glasses. So the, the tracking was actually implanted into a pair of glasses device that they would use. So they were actually using it that way. They were basically cameras that were facing the athlete. So when the athlete was looking at the target, the, the eye, right eye tracking system was watching their eye movements, and then we were able to trace it out and, and put it on the laptop. So we were able to, to target it and actually quantify it, but it was through that system. And how about visual perception 
visual recognition. Yeah, I mean, visual perception, visual recognition for me is is the decision-making part of the game, right? So, it, you know, it, it's it's really critical. You have athletes so many times that you look at and you say, boy, what were they thinking? You know, and they had great vision. They had everything maximized. Their clarity was there, but, you know, they, they turn over the ball or they make the wrong pass at the wrong time. And, you know, what's interesting carry over there is sometimes you see that carry over in academic settings, right? I mean, a lot of the athletes we're talking with on this podcast are maybe youth athletes, high school athletes, collegiate athletes. If they have issues with processing visual information, that can be a challenge for them in a classroom. So if we're identifying something that, you know, became a deficiency hitting a baseball, but then it became relevant for them being successful in school, maybe we're getting better grades. Maybe we're staying eligible for the sport we want to play. Maybe we're giving ourselves an opportunity at the next level because our, our, our skills are now uh, a, such in an academic setting that we're getting opportunities you know, at the next level that we wouldn't have got before. So I think visual processing is a big thing. Decision-making for all of us uh, can slow down over life. You know, we've seen that change a little bit when we're, let's say, driving and making quick decisions on multiple moving targets on the road. So we can maximize visual processing, which we can. And there's absolutely, I think that's, that's a big frontier in vision training is the neurological part of the game. And I think most of the technologies are emerging, not so much in the virgin side of things and the muscular side of training or the contrast side or the fixation side, but really in that neurological side. You have companies like NeuroTrainer, NeuroTracker, you have a lot of synaptic programs, you have the strobe training glasses, you have the VR programs that are out there pushing the neurological part of decision-making. And if we can buy a 10th or two tenths of a second in vision processing, you know, that can be, again, life or death for my elite warfighters and my law enforcement professionals. It can be a difference of, you know, a career for someone in pro sports. Uh, and it can be, again, kind of life and death for someone who's driving down an eight-lane highway. So vision processing for me is a big deal. Peripheral vision is very important for athletes. How do you test for it and how do you train for it? Yeah, so we, we kind of use the word peripheral awareness when we're talking a lot with sports. Peripheral vision, you know, it can be limited based on things you mentioned earlier, glaucoma, uh, someone who has a deficiency in you know, some retinal tear or some issue that they had in the back of their eye where they have a limitation in vision. So, so visual field is technically making sure they can see all parts of the visual field. Everything is intact, which again, I think is, is relevant. But peripheral awareness is can you be aware of all things that are happening? So I think you know, training or testing peripheral awareness is something we can do in a variety of different systems that can quantify how quickly the athlete goes to different directions of gaze. So we can see that an athlete has, you know, 200 millisecond reaction gaze and, and up gaze. And then all of a sudden you get down into the right and they're, they're two tenths of a second longer in reaction to that target. And now all of a sudden you, you tie that back to, let's say uh, what we talk about in major league baseball is someone's heat chart. So when they're a hitter, it's where they're hot, where they hit the ball well and where they get kind of fooled a lot. And if it relates and you see that heat chart kind of relating to the reaction chart or the peripheral awareness chart, now you know that you need to do training in a specific zone, right? So if we have to do specific zone training down into the right, then we can put them onto a variety of different training programs. We have something called a Bonovi reaction board, which has reaction speed. We have things called fit lights. We can put up different things around uh, for them to actually, let's say, throw a target back and forth, but then have to react to things in the periphery. So we want to continue to focus on the area that's maybe a deficiency for them by continuing to hammer that zone by showing them multiple targets in that zone while we're asking them to do a specific task like throwing, catching, talking, hitting, but continuing to see targets fall in that zone until our peripheral awareness expands to be quick in all the different zones. So that's Is that something a quarterback would need to work on? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for them seeing the field quickly with the multiple routes and receivers running out there and also from a protection standpoint, right? We're trying to have them see the guy coming at them, trying to kill him too. So you have all the one going out for the passes, but we also have... Um, you know, people coming at the quarterback. So peripheral awareness is, is great. When they say you know, the athlete has eyes in the back of their head, 
you know, sometimes they do. I mean, sometimes they really do have that incredible vision around the periphery. We use it with our hockey goalies all the time. You know, and those guys who you say, well, how did he get to that puck? I mean, he didn't even see it. Well, he did. I mean, we saw the most incredible vision I've ever seen was with some of our goalies and, and Braden Holtby was one that, you know, we mentioned as well because he's mentioned as, you know, doing a lot of vision training his career. You know, we won a Stanley Cup. You know, we've won some pretty exciting things down here the last couple of years in Washington. And, you know, he was a huge part of our Stanley Cup run and his ability to see things was some of the best I've ever seen in an athlete in 20 years. He's just absolutely incredible in his ability and peripheral awareness. Fitting multifocal contact lenses presents a big opportunity to meet patient needs while growing your practice. Alcon is your partner, not only with our innovative portfolio, but through e-learning. Learn to enhance your multifocal strategy today with the Alcon Experience Academy. Since I bought Safe For You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe For You products. I bring extra and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had Safe For You to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe For You. And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe For You is because it's safe for me and you.